0: Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being tape recorded My name is Paul Mullary, and this is X-Job Downloaded. And today I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing Colin Sutton. Now, Colin was a DCI with the Metropolitan Police and another couple of other forces, I think, over your time. right. Um, But today we are in sunny Norfolk. Are we Norfolk or Suffolk here? Norfolk. Norfolk, lovely. Um, Thanks so much for having me at your lovely home today. Colin, I ask everybody this. Where did it all begin for Colin Sutton?
1: Well, I, I was born and, and grew up in in Enfield in North London, uh, on the poor side of the A10. It's sort of Enfield divided by the Cambridge Road, and if you live one side, it's a bit sort of grubby, and the other side uh, there used to be industry and all sorts of things down Brimstown where I lived, and yeah. of course that's all gone now. Um, and yeah, my my dad was a PC in the Met, uh, and my mum did various things. Um, and then landed on working as a clerk in the solicitor's office, and gradually sort of worked her way through doing various things and she became a conveyncer and then finally she was a um an expert in licensing and By the time she retired in her late sixties uh, when they changed the licensing act, and you didn't have to license premises, yeah, yeah. or you license premises rather than the individual, yeah um you know probably one out of three supermarkets throughout the country she'd done licensing for because they had contracts with the with the big sort of supermarket chains and the co-op and things like that. Uh yeah, so they, you know, pretty sort of humble, ordinary, sort of working classish sort of background, I suppose. Um they I grew up living with my mum's parents in right. Enfield. Um she was insistent that she didn't want to go to a police house or police flat because She'd rather save up so that they could buy their own house. And it wasn't until I was about nine that um, they achieved that. And we moved literally sort of 600 yards away, sort of two streets away.
0: And what um, year were you nine, if you don't mind me asking? Uh,
1: 1970. Yeah. Moved there. Yeah, Yeah. I was born just the end of 1961. 1960, yeah, uh, during the double season for Tottenham. I just thought about that. <laughs> so they have actually they have actually won the league in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so and I went to the local school there and dad was dad was in the job, dad was a PC at Edmonton and then went to Traffic. Uh, and I kinda grew up, I suppose, with with him and his mates. Um, I'm an only child and I was kind of um, taken along with mum and dad quite often, but mum insisted. So I, I kind of knew all of his still know, you know, those that are still alive his kind of colleagues, and so I suppose I was sort of immersed in that kind of police family and socialising and so forth from quite a young age. Um, and it does have an
0: impact on you because my, my dad was a copper yeah. and it really does have an impact on you, your yeah. social skills, and, and and I found it when I joined the job, there were still people in the job that are serving my dad. Yes, yeah. So I had a, a reference into... yeah. yeah. SIOs, you know, and yeah. and and that was yeah. that was
1: you know, yeah. part of my well, life. It was yeah. I mean, it was it was funny. I and mean, one one thing was that I um I actually did a day's duty with my dad when did I did you? my attachment to traffic. Yeah, um, he was at Finchley, and that's where we went to the traffic garage. And we had to do three days as probationers. They only let me do one day with him, so that's quite yeah, just quite nice. I've actually yeah. been in operator in the car to, to to my dad, um and. I mean, the other thing was quite funny. Dad, dad was a... Before I remember it, he he was an aide to CID, and I think he and his partner were somewhere where they shouldn't have been or weren't somewhere where they should have been. You know how it goes. It's in the 60s. And uh, he got sort of bumped off, and he took his bat and ball home and went to traffic and found his niche there and was happy for, uh, for all his service. He ended up as an instructor at Hendon at the driving school. Right. Um, but he had a little bit of a down on the CID as a result of that. And uh, when I... Yeah, much later on, became a a DI and and was working. With, and I'd mention people, and he'd it, he'd say, "Oh, his dad was in the job. I know his dad because, as you said, yeah, yeah. You know, it happens a lot." He "You watch him. His dad was a bent bastard." You know, yeah. you know this, <laughs> sort of, <laughs> all this sort of thing. And, you, know, yeah, it's not necessarily mean. You know, the same dad does it, but but yeah. So yeah, he was. I mean, Dad that, that was a funny character, really, because he 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 he's a very bright bloke. Um, He's got some lovely watercolours on on his wall his house that he won uh, coming second in the Brain of Enfield competition about 1986. He was, he's getting old now, obviously, but he was fantastic at quizzes and things like that and his knowledge. Uh, But even more than I was, and I can be a bit, he he was like his own man and called a spade a spade and, and said what he felt. And, yeah, never got promoted in the job. I think he tried once or twice to take the exam and never really put the time in to do it um And he retired just after i i did my year out as a uniform sergeant in eighty five um so he didn 't mind calling me sergeant, but he wasn't going to call me sir, so, so he retired um but yeah, so that was that was sort of growing up was 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 that and and my maternal grandfather was there um at at home obviously he'd retired he was very old he was born in eighteen ninety three wow and he 'd had the most amazing life he was an orphan um and lived in an orphanage of some description in Leicestershire, and I think it was nineteen oh seven. So he'd have been fourteen, or maybe nineteen no, oh six and thirteen. He decided to join the navy and lied about his age and joined the navy. And they they rumbled him and sent him away, but not before they, as he told us, put him over a vaulting horse and lashed him. You know, and then of course the First World War came and he was in the Leicestershire Regiment, he got blown up the Somme, um, yeah. and. Uh, Got involved in the hosiery trade. He had factories um, in in England, in Leicestershire, and then one in Dublin between the wars. And split up with his sort of partner, and was going to open his own business in in Edmonton. That's how that side of the right. came to North London. And for a very clever man as he was, he he made a sort of cardinal sin in in that he paid for all his equipment from a German firm in in late nineteen thirty eight. And the, the the thing was frustrated by the war, he never got lost his money and he ended up as a tax inspector. But he he was um he was a remarkable man. He was, I mean, older than I am now, he was still playing Middlesex League cricket. Really? And then he retired at sixty-five and and uh got bored and he went and he was a night shift foreman at a manufacturing firm in Enfield. And every single one of his employees at that time, so this would have been late 60s, early 70s, um, every one of his employees was West Indian. Wow. And they loved him and he loved them. Yeah. And, and we've got photographs of him at their weddings where he's literally the only white person in the entire Fantastic. wedding. Fantastic. And it was him, really, that, you know, while, whereas very close to my dad and certainly job wise, and as an adult, very close to my dad, it, as a child, it was it was old Mac that, as he was known, his name was McLean, and, and he uh, he was the one who sort of gave me... Values about not being racist, about valuing women, and and all sorts of things. Actually, he was miles ahead of his generation, given that he was born in the nineteenth century. Yeah, he had very sort of modern views, and and sort of imbued them into me. So, um, yeah, he died when I was eighteen. I thought he was eighty eighty six. I mean, he'd lost both his legs. And-
0: it's amazing. You're quite right, though, because I think that that generation were completely different. They they, they were. He was born under. Victor in Victorian times, yeah. Yeah. we yeah. still had an empire. Yeah. And inclusion wasn't a byword then.
1: No. Uh, uh, no. No. No, and he was, you know, some some of the some of the things he told me as I was, you know, I, I really wish, I really wish I'd have had another five or six years of him, you know. Yeah. Um, as as an adult. It, they they say I, I I got my A-level results. He died about two months later. He said he was just waiting for you to get to uni, then he let go sort of thing. But I don't know. But he, um, yeah, two things I remember that he said to me. One was he said, all politicians are corrupt. He said, you'll just find the toys are corrupt for sex and Labour are corrupt for money. Well, over the years, that's not been far from the no, truth, either. I think. And the, and the other thing, and I remember him saying this to me as quite a young child, you know, saying, when you grow up, he says, uh, Scotland and Wales, there'll be different countries to this, to ours. I said, oh, how are they going to do that? It's like they can't break away, can they? They can't sort of dig a trench. It's, no, but they'll have their own governments because they, they, you know, the people there that need to. So, you kind of, this is in I don't know. Again, same sort of time, late 60s. seventies, very, very sort of forward. So he was, yeah, a very bright man, and and um, yeah, he was. He was a big influence on me when I was little, uh, certainly. Um, yeah, so that was that, and I went to I went to school in Eppington to, to a school called Latimer, which. Is one of these kind of um, what they call it? Grant maintained grammar schools, or yeah. voluntary aided grammar schools. So basically, it was. It's a the place these days where the sort of middle class in London from all over North London pay tutors to coach their kids through the exam because it saves them a lot of money for a decent education. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I'd, I'd done, I'd done well at junior school and and, and went there and and uh, had a bit of a bit of a shock actually because there were lots of people who'd done well at junior school and first sort of term and I got my first report and it was horrific for me you know and and but I pulled my socks up and and uh yeah was there for obviously the whole way through and I I did um did a lot of O levels and A level three A levels and got I wanted to go <laughs> I wanted to go to university I wanted to go and do German with linguistics I did German to A level and i like Germany and the culture and yeah. and the language and still sort of speak it reasonably well. And there was this course, it was at York University, the only place that did it at the time was in seventy nine. Um German with linguistics and the whole business of language and everything fascinated me. And and uh, Dad said something along the lines of, Yeah, that's a really good idea, linguistics. We can open a we can open a linguistics shop and corner of the market. Now go and going to do something sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to do law at Leeds at, at Leeds. Um but by that time I'd I'd been working for my mum's solicitor's firm as a outdoor clerk so going to uh going to court you know assisting the barrister taking the papers along uh, while I was in sixth form and, and while I was at university I, I I did that and I'd kind of decided really that I didn't want to be part of this idea of sort of helping people to get away with things um and I mean, I, I can tell one, one, one story you're like, actually, from the, uh, from that time. I, I, there I am, I'm 18 years old, and, and old Ron Daltry, who was mum's boss, who died not so long ago, actually, he said, I've got a job for you, can you go to the Royal Courts of Justice in the Strand? And you've got to go and see a judge in chambers, if you like, a master. And they call it taxing, and it's going through the legal aid bill and sort of scrubbing out the bits that yeah. they won't pay for. It. He said, it's ever so easy. He said, look, look, this is it. And I'm 18 years old, but I was, yeah, okay, I'll do anything. So I get on the train, go on the tube, go up there, go and do it. This lovely old judge was really kind to me and realised I was nervous as hell and didn't know what I was doing and talked me through it. You know, absolutely fine, no worries. And I came out, and I'm desperate for a wee. I really, really need to loot. And I'm sure you've been to Rock yeah, yeah. Place. You know, you've got the stone walls and they've got like bits of cream paint on them with sort of handwritten, hand painted signs everywhere yeah. for the court numbers. And I couldn't find the toilets. But what I do find is there's a short flight of steps with double doors, and the steps have got red carpet on, and it says on the doors, judges corridor strictly private. So I'm thinking, well, the judges have probably got a love <laughs> <laughs> So I'm in a suit, I've got my briefcase, I go through this door and this lovely plush red carpet and I see the sign for the gents. So I go in and it's got the sort of airlock, the double door system. And I go through the first door and it's pitch black and I can't find the light switch. So I go through the second door and it's still pitch black and I still can't find a light switch, but my eyes... Get accustomed to the light, and I make out the shape of the urinals on the walls. So Thank God for that. And I go over, put my briefcase down, and ah, oh, relief. You know, you know what it's like. And then I hear the doors go, and it's somebody who knows where the light switches are because the lights come on. And I look over my shoulder while I'm still uh, standing there having a pee, and there's a judge, no wig, but with his gowns on, coming in, and he looks at me and gives me the most old-fashioned look. And obviously, I'm 18 years old. I'm clearly not a judge. No. And I look back and turn around away from him, and I see there's a in front of me. There's a mirror, and a soap dispenser and two taps, and i was standing there peeing in the sink. <laughs> 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 and your items are on the wall behind me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, that's brilliant. So, I thought at that point, perhaps it's best you don't go to the law college. You, know, perhaps you something else to do Um So yeah. So so uh, i I'd I'd wanted yeah people say when did you when did you decide to want to be a policeman I so, I was kind of involved in in the in the, the the kind of culture and community of it from being a child and I, but I felt a little bit embarrassed about people saying, oh you're going to be a policeman like your dad they'd probably say it's you you know yeah and, <laughs> yeah and 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 I was a bit sort of and mum wasn't very keen on the idea anyway I think as well and so i, I was I never really let on and when I decided that that's really what I wanted to do, and I, I didn't like. I think I was too immature to go away to university. Really, I found it quite hard going up to Leeds. Yeah, and I did did all right academically, so such would I always always have done. But, um, and I decided, yeah, there's no point. And then you know, there's no question. Having A levels, I was unusual as recruits in 1980. You know, as it was then. So I applied to the Met. Um while I was at the University of Leeds, and what I didn't know was, of course you have to give your home address, not your university address, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I didn't know they acknowledged your application with a postcard, ah, oh. and of course, the postcard turns up at home, I Mum and they'd see it, and the next thing I know, they're banging on the door of my university flat, having driven two hundred miles up the m one to say what's all this about so we kind of went out and had a mistake and a Bernie inn or whatever you did in those yeah. days, you know and and talked about it and I kind of, you know, persuaded them that, that I'd thought about it and it's what I wanted to do and I was going to do it. And, and from that moment on, they were just behind me and, and that's what happened. So did
0: you finish your degree? No. You didn't?
1: Not there, no. No, I did eventually, but uh, not, not not then. So I did a year, and I think a year and a term at Leeds. Right. And then the way these funny things sort of happened, my dad at the time was working at traffic control at Scotland Yard, so right. it's like the... the, the um, central command complex, but for yeah, traffic yeah. people. And, you know, dad being dad, he was there because he'd given two fingers to the chief superintendent about something and they had to send someone there and he got like a punishment posting for, yeah. for, for a year or so. And he was there. And what happened, I, I applied um, in, I went for my interview, I think it was November, I think it was November 1980. And one of my friends had applied just before me and he'd got a date for February 81 to join. So I was expecting it'd be sort of Easter time, maybe April, that I'd go if I got through. And I got through and somebody, and I don't know who this man, it was a man, is to this day, but somebody broke his leg and told the Met, sorry, I'm going to have to delay my joining because I can't, I've broke my leg. I, I'm not fit enough to join. Oh, and he was joining on the 5th of January, 1981, but he told them on like the 23rd of December. And they're thinking with the Christmas post, how are we going to fill that place? And they're literally looking through it, recruiting, trying to fill this spare place on the fifth of January. I said, "Oh, look, this bloke is dad works at traffic control, so we can get the papers to him, and he could." So they phoned me up at home. And said, "Do you want to join on the fifth of January?" So, yeah, okay, why not? Now, all that did was it moved me forward a few months, which you think don't, doesn't make any difference. So, but just bear that in mind. So I joined on the fifth of January, 1981. Yep. So I went to, well, I, I went to training school. I enjoyed training school. It was it was good fun. Um, I trained at Wanstead. I didn't train at Hendon. That was the first time I trained all that time. We used to go to Hendon uh, once a fortnight for drill and and, um, and swimming. And
0: Wanstead's not that far from
1: Enfield. Enfield. No, it was, it was, no, that's right. It's, I mean, it's not there now. It, it was an old tower block that was a cadet centre and was being used to a training school. And, oh, uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, um, and we, apart from the cross countries twice a week before breakfast we around the Bonson Flats, which weren't the greatest thing um, in the world. But, uh, yeah, we used to go for drill. And I, I'm not the most coordinated of people, really, Paul. You know, I I don't really do dancing or, or you know, and people sort of say I'm not sure how you drive or play football or <laughs> golf or anything, that, 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 but somehow I manage. But we were doing the drill and I could just about manage the, the walking and the, the marching and stuff. Um but it was the halt that I was finding difficulty. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> and they had this this thing at Hendon and, and, and at yeah, once at train school where the punishment if you did something wrong was early turns, you had to get up at six o'clock oh. and do yeah, stuff like that. And the only one I got in my whole sixteen weeks was as a result of being cheeky to the uh, to the drill sergeant at, at Hendon, which is never a good idea. He did laugh though, yeah. It was generally, I think, funny because I'm trying to do this halt and I'm failing miserably. It looked like I'm skiing or or whatever. And he yells out and barks out in the window, Sutton, are you that uncoordinated when you're making love? And I said, no, Sergeant, but I don't get, keep getting told to stop. (laughs) 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 And he laughed and said, early turn up. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that was was worth it. Um, But yeah, so I did that and it was okay. And I, you know, got I've got a, Book prize somewhere or something, you know. I, I, I exams have always learning stuff's always been quite easy too, yeah. you know. So, so it wasn't a problem. And I got posted to Y district, which was the district that covered uh, both of Enfield and Haringey, so sort of a home posting if you like. And I was going to go to I was going to go to uh, to Enfield, um, which was really a home posting. You know, it's where I'd grown up. Um, but my best friend, who now lives in Austria. Um, was never a policeman. Never made a policeman, Dave. But his father was. His father was chief superintendent at Tottenham. Right. And I knew him really well. We'd been mates since we were ten years old. We'd been on holiday with families together and all this sort of thing. And Pete was. Pete was from North, North North Nottinghamshire, and he was like a. He thought he was a Yorkshireman, really. He nearly was. He's a big bluff man. Uh, met police first team fast bowler. You know, his dad's he's been dead about twenty years, sadly, but lovely man. Um And. Uh, he intercepted my posting basically. He said you won't learn anything. Because in those days Enfield was a bit quiet and a bit of a mm. water. And it had bits of Essex and yeah. Hertfordshire that have now been, you know, since two thousand have gone to to the county forces there as well, so Chesnut and things like that. So yeah, I ended up at Tottenham and I went to Tottenham. What and, year were you there then? Uh eighty one. I, I went there just after just after the sort of set, uh, the, the, the the riots of Vincent Park Carnival. Yeah, the commander couldn't welcome us that day to the um to to the division when we all went to Green Divisional Headquarters because he was off sick having got a bit of a wow. kick in, Jim Dickinson, the commander. And there's a guy called Pat Carson, who was Detective Chief Super, who was deputising for him, and he had his uh the commander's spectacle case where he'd been kicked with a big dent in it and he'd really? shown it to everybody mm. saying, This is what you're up against, you know? Um and I didn't yeah, you know, Tottenham was six six miles down the road. And all I knew it for was football. So I used to go yeah, to yeah. football there, and you know, and I used to go mostly to the Spurs when I was a kid with my mum because my dad, for about nine seasons, had the job of escorting the away team coach into the ground on his police motorbike. Oh, really? So he could never go to home games. So I used to go with my mum or with his with his friend, like with Alan Fleury, who who's a legend in the in the Met as a the driving instructor at Hendon. Nice Fleury, yeah. So he used to go with them. But anyway, um, so I got went to Tottenham, and I. There's a guy called Roly Stone picked me up from, okay, from the Roller from Stone. Green. Yeah, huge yeah, 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 ma- yeah, yeah, huge yeah. man. Yeah. And I still see Roly now and, and you know, I've known him. He, he he's a lovely, lovely man, Roly Gen- absolute epitome of a gentle giant, you know, but huge. And he's still yeah, absolutely huge man and powerful and good man to have around when it got a bit tasty. Yeah. Uh, he picked me up in a an old Mark II escort and took me to Tottenham and I saw Pete Taylor. Um Dave's dad and called him sir and you know he sat down and he said you know yeah here I'm sir home I'm Pete that's it you've got the you've got the idea uh, and um, had two days off because my team had just finished night so they had two days off then two o'clock on the um, Thursday I paraded at Tottenham by ten past two I was at the uh, Coroner's Court stroke mortuary at Hornsey doing a brought in dead sudden death and by four o'clock I was walking around Broadwater Farm Estate and I'm thinking what the hell?
0: Yeah, what well, have I done?
1: Because say so it's only six miles down the road, but the difference in night no, and day, in 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 the kind of surroundings, and and I think I realised, or maybe looking back on it, realised I'd had quite a costed life, really, in Enfield and the school I went to and that sort of thing. You know, things were very different. And, um, yeah, so I, I I went there and I had no, I had no real. Ambitions to be anything other than a really good street policeman. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to be. Yeah. And it was a good place to do it. And, uh, you know, I'm still, still friends with people that, there and, and uh, um, did my best to sort of get involved. And, that yeah, I think there was a... I know now, because I've talked to people past, you know, there's a little bit of suspicion because they knew I'd sort of given up university to go there and I had A-levels and I'd been to a decent school and all this sort of thing. It was a little bit sort of unusual. But mucked in and did what i could and said so the farm was a bit uh a bit a bit challenging to police should we say yeah you know, even in the early 80s and and before the you know four years before the riot um and you had to go to training once a month and do an exam every month and i did that and that all went okay and then you do your final probation's exam in the september so i'd come up to two years in january 83 yes. and the final probes exam was september i passed that and, and I get called in by Peter Taylor's gone there. He's gone somewhere else. With the superintendent calls me in the chief superintendent, forget which one, and said, right, well done, you've passed your pilot pop exam. You've got 94% of something ridiculous, you know. Uh, how do you feel about taking a sergeant's exam? So I said, well, yeah, I will do one day, sir, you know. And one of the best bits of advice that my dad ever gave me when I joined and that I passed on to my son when he joined was never turn down an opportunity for training because you never know... No, exactly. When it's going to be useful to you or someone else or whatever. Um, And he looked at me and he said, uh, no, I meant in January this year.
0: Which is your two-year
1: anniversary. Two-year anniversary. I said, well, I said, well, you know, if, if, if... if you think I could do it, they had to. They had to sign then a certificate yes, to say right. you were competent yeah. to be a sergeant. And I've I've got eighteen months. Ahead. They said, "Well, we'll sign the paperwork if you want to do it." He said, "It's probably a good time to do it. Because you've just done a lot of a study. study." Yeah. So I said, "Okay." Then so, yeah, so I sort of signed up there and then to do the exam. Now the exam was always the first Saturday in January in those days. It was the old exam, learning 150 oh. pages off by rote, sort of thing, and knowledge and reasonings. It wasn't multiple choice tick box yeah. things. Manual of guidance, yeah? Yeah. The updates took longer than the... Yeah, way, yeah, way yeah, way yeah. Then, yeah, yeah. So, so I, um, I said, yeah, OK, well, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And, and that's where the 5th of January came into it, because that year, the 1st of January, was a Saturday, so it's a bank holiday. And so they put the exam on the 2nd Saturday, which was the 8th, and I had two years in on the 5th. And I wow. had to have two years. So if that bloke hadn't had broken his leg, then I'd have joined later. I couldn't have taken the exam here. Who knows? You know, yeah. Well, it's just fate how things happen, isn't it? So I went along to Ponder's End Police Station to the promotion classes that had been running for about six weeks and there's this um, sergeant there called Bob Barker who I worked with as an inspector later on. He's a good guy, actually. He pulled me to one side after. He said, you've got no chance. He said, they're six weeks ahead of you. There's no point in you coming here. You're not going to you know, give up now. You're not going to do it. Which only really served to make me think, yes, I am going to do it. Yeah. So I saved all my leave up. My inspector, a called Dave Stobbs, who was, died recently, was really, really instrumental in... Teaching me as well. great. I'll talk about some of the things he said to me. But he um, organised me to be the warden at the section house for a month because there was somebody sick. And I was sitting there studying. And I took about I think about 10 days off in a row around Christmas. And I didn't do any studying on Boxing Day and Christmas Day. But otherwise I didn't go out the house. I was sitting there cramming and cramming and cramming. And I was even cramming in between the two papers that ended on the Saturday the exam with my mate's car driven me over there because I didn't really, I'd need to do some more stuff on firearms. That was coming up in the afternoon. Anyway, long story short, i part, not only did I pass, they did it competitively then, so you had an order. I was 27th in the Met. Wow. Um, They wanted 400 or so sergeants that year, something like that. So, you know, I was well competitive, but you couldn't be promoted, even if you were in the top 400 they needed, until you had five years service, and I only had two and a bit. So actually I thought, that's okay, I've got that. i
0: yeah, in the I, bank.
1: I in the bank, I can do something for the next few weeks and months and years. Um, and then somebody told me, because I was in the top 100, I had to go for the interviews for, to go for Bramshill for the special mm. course. So don't ever give up anything that you get offered. So yeah, of course I'll do that. So I go along to the yard, did an interview there, got through that and then had to go up to Preston, to Hutton Hall. To Hutton Hall, yeah. Yeah? And I've heard this and some of you other talking to people about CID courses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, went to Hutton Hall for this three-day, and it was like a civil service um, extended interview type thing, yeah? And there was a guy called um, Richard Wells who became a DAC in the Met. I think he might have been a commander at the time. There was a bloke called Graham who was the chief constable of Cheshire at the time, and some civil service bloke, and they were doing the interview, and... Richard Wells was a modern languages person, and he'd seen on my paperwork that about my German, and so he started speaking German to me. So I started speaking it to him, and this Scots fella who was David goes, uh, "Mr. Wells, we will only be speaking English and listening to you." so sorry, sorry, you yeah, know, like this. But it was quite, anyway. I, was, I got it basically. I was, Spurs were playing West Ham first game of this football season. I was doing something at the Spurs, and I got phoned up by an the Wally Poulter, who, who was my inspector by then, because I, I I didn't say, because I'd been acting sergeant from virtually when the results came out in April. Right. Um, said, oh, yeah, you've got the special course. You're going to play Hill for a year. And then it was a whole year you went down there. Wow. And I didn't know what to think. I thought, well, it's it's good, but I'm really going to miss this. And I've not really done much policing, you know. No. Um, so, yeah, I'd basically I'd, I missed it out. I'd... I'd after taking the final props exam, I couldn't drive police cars. I couldn't work the command and control. I couldn't work the PNC. I was just a walking bod, and they wanted to form this Bullwater Farm Community Team, so I got roped into that. And so for about four months, all I did every day was walk around Bullwater. Wow! Farm, and there's a limit to how many things you can have thrown at you, you yeah. know, and, and how, how you. And it was really, really soul destroying. It really was, um, and it was really the only time of my service that I really didn't like and in fact the, the guy that I was partnered up with we we used to walk the long way round from Tottenham Nick to the farm and try to lock somebody up on the way <laughs> so we didn't have to go, yeah, on go on there so actually productivity was probably quite good you know but so I've been doing that but then as soon as the exam results went right we haven't got enough sergeants so you're acting sergeant on on um, another title change teams and I had two substantive sergeants and myself and and another uh, woman Chris Cave who just passed the exam and I've got two years and three months service. Um, wow! Like and it was pre-pace. Yeah. So the station officer was doing custody and the station yep. and everything. I'm doing that at Tottenham. Um, what cousin was there then? What Sean? Sean McLeary. Sean McLeary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, know yeah. yeah. Sean. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. DC, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. It was a tough old place, you know. It was. It was. It was, it was good. But. But yeah, it was. Um, I, I just, I, I think I, I kind of. Were you there for the riots then? Were you? No, I'd gone by then. I'd been promoted by them, gone away. Um, no, I was, I, I left Tottenham end of 83, because on the 3rd of January 84, I went out of Bramptill for a year. Oh, okay. A special course. Um, but during that time, what did I do? Well, I, was just, so I did my driving course um, that time. I did whatever I could to uh, to try and sort of understand what I was going to do with this career that was going to be different to how I'd planned it because I'd, I'd quite like getting involved in crime and things like that and uh, particularly sort of proactive sort of stuff. And I was aiming, I was thinking that you know that five years would have been great because I have a couple of years to do on the crime squad and proactive team something like that and learn a bit. And it all sort of got thrown up in the air by the fact that oh, you're, you're going away for you. And I really didn't fancy going away for you.
0: What yet. was the reaction of your peers, though? Because you're... I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, but you wouldn't be an archetypical Bram Seal boy, in my books. Mm. You'd been you 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 know, f- for me, you'd have been one of the lads getting on with the, all the stuff, taking yeah. part in all the fun and the banter and all the stuff that was going on at that time, yeah. and you'd have probably built a lot of friendships and relationships, which is quite evident from what you're saying. So, what was the reaction when you when you made this big announcement? Right, have a lovely Christmas. Boys and girls, I'm off to Brazil. I'll, see, I'll Zill. See you in a year.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, do you know? I never really. I, I I don't. I wasn't aware of any kind of antipathy or any kind of um, resentment amongst them. Um, I as I say, I'd, I'd done my best to be busy and to work as hard as I could. And when I was thrown into that situation, I'm 22 years old. I've got two years and three-month service, and I'm acting sergeant Tottenham. You know, I'm getting people like Winston Silcott wheeled in front of me for murder. And yeah. The, you know, it was it was yeah, a busy, yeah. busy place. And I kind of learned early on, and I talked about it with my dad, you know, and I said, I think the worst thing I could do is pretend I know more than I do. And actually, all I've got to do is ask, because I don't think I'm stupid. I think I can pick stuff up, but I don't need to be told twice. But I do need to be told. Yeah. And that kind of stood me in good stead, I think, was how my career went because I, I kind of, there were a number of occasions when I found myself doing things that you wouldn't have thought I'd have been doing in some ways. And, and sometimes I think the whole thing in life is, the best moments in life are when you're almost out, out of your head and looking at yourself and think, Christ, am I really doing that? Yeah, I agree. You know what I mean? Yeah, just silly things. Like when I stopped playing football and I started refereeing. Very first time I refereed a football match. Is this really me doing this? You yeah, my um so it doesn't have to be sort of momentous things, but just stretching yourself yeah. and doing new things, you know? So yeah, it was all I mean, the, the there were two I'll name them because they're 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 lovely guys. And again, I stand touch both them. But there was a bloke called Bob Elder who who was a big wheel in the Federation, the eventually gem, the London Met Federation right. or whatever. Um and his partner in crime Malcolm Peake. Malcolm worked for about 50 years for the, yeah. for the Met you know, as a civvy uh, call hander afterwards. And they were both on this shift that I was going on, and people were saying, they are going to eat you alive. You know, they're so good. You know, Peter Taylor had said to me when I went this, if I had 12 Bob Elders and 12 Malcolm Peaks, I could clean this division up in three weeks. You know, that they were yeah. very active, old school PCs. And the very first night, it was a night duty that I was acting sergeant. I got me two stripes on and I go across to Android subdivision station. I'm a section sergeant there, and I can't drive. I'm not, no basic driver, saying you had to have done the police course to drive. Yeah. So I couldn't even drive myself around as a section sergeant. And Bob wasn't driving the, the area car, the fast car that night. Somebody else was. So he was spare. So I said, you're to take me out then, Bob. I thought, grab the ball by the horns. Yeah, I didn't know the bloke. Yeah. I knew him by reputation, but I'd hardly ever spoken to him at the time I'd been there. And we went out in this old Red Hillman Avenger, and uh, we're pooling about Tottenham High Road and see these two lads go behind some down the side of a pub in Tottenham High Road, to ball opposite Tottenham Town Hall, and just they've gone behind the buildings here. And I sort of spot. I said, What are they doing there? But I said, What? I said, there's two posts going down there with a bag, I'm not sure. So we pulled up, put the lights out, and we sat across the road and watched and we watched and we waited for about ten minutes and they came out. These bags they had were now huge and stuffed. What we now know happened was that there were some lock up garages there and they'd burgled one of them and it was a market trader who sold t shirts. They'd nicked a load of t shirts. Right. And we're sitting in this red Avenger, which doesn't really look, although we're in uniform, doesn't really look like a police car. And they walk across the road quite close to us and they go to a phone box, old fashioned BT red phone box. And they put the bags outside, they both go in and they're, as we now know, ringing for a mini cab to come pick them up and take them away. And Bob started the car, slipped it into drive, drove onto the pavement, rested the front bumper. Against the door at the phone box and called for the van to come along. <laughs> <laughs> because they're just brilliant. They're just stuck in there. And yeah, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, uh, you know, it was great. And so it was kind of an icebreaker in some ways. My very first night as a sergeant on there, I'd done the good bit, you know, f- from my point of view, of actually spotting them and saying these need to look at. Bob had done something a bit outlandish, but perfectly legal, not mm. horrible, you know, not, not not violent or anything like that. And I got along with that and thought that was brilliant. and we got on our household fire. Let's see what I do.
0: But I wonder if that cunning and guile is replicated in the police service now. I, I, I'd like to think there are still characters in the police. Yeah. Um, but I do, and I do really feel sorry for the modern police service because they're not allowed to be f- free thinkers. Yeah. And they're not allowed to have an opinion. Unless it's a political opinion that falls into... The modern thinking of of the police yeah, service.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give I'll give an example actually that later on when I was in uniform at Holloway, we we had a a job there where um, we were getting lots of push bikes, pedal cycles stolen from Holloway Road, and one of the reliefs there got a nice looking mountain bike that was given to them by a supplier cycle shop, and they basically loosened every single nut and bolt on <laughs> it. <laughs> left it, in the, left, left it on the Holloway Road, and waited for somebody to jump on it and ride it away. And of course, as soon as they tried to, it just collapsed yeah. in a big heap of parts. So they all jumped on it, but his nicked. And I was talking to, to 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 my son about this, and because uh, he was working in Kingston, they had a similar sort of problem with cycle thefts. And I said, you know, it worked. He said, yeah, I'm not sure have to be a bit more careful than that these days you know and he but he took it he took it to his to his uh bosses and but i think they ended up doing something they super glued the cog to the train or they, they somehow immobilized it, yeah. but without making it as dangerous you know so somebody wasn't going to fall off of it in front of an arctic which was obviously the worry now so i think there's still room for that kind of lateral thinking and 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 pushing the envelope but it's just you've got to do it with a lot more kind of care and respect. Yeah, you have for, the, the for health and the, safety. Yeah, which it's just a different world, you know. It's just but, so
0: and I, I do get that, but, I, I mean, it's the funny things that happened in policing, like I say, I'm not sure, that, I'm sure they do happen, of course they do, but it's, it is a different era, and I understand I, that
1: as well. I, I, I don't know, Paul, I, I I kind of think, I thought it got worse during my service, but then I realised it, it seemed to get proportionally worse than. More rank and position. I am. Oh, you're absolutely you right. You don't get to
0: know about it, you no. know, when
1: it when it goes on. But yeah,
0: no, dropping water bombs off the top of the police oh, station God, yeah. and things like that—that yeah. that would be frowned upon. Yeah, and somebody would complain they're being bullied.
1: Yeah, uh, it's, there was it's, there was a there was a fantastic story from Tottenham before I, just before I got there that was a talk of it where it was night duty. It was quiet. They'd had a water fight, and you've got all the walkers because you had lots of people walking about there and That's why I'm, Yeah, a few cars. And they're all into this park area and, and um, there's a van with somebody standing on the back step lobbing water bombs and they got the lights off so it can't be seen and it collides with a seesaw and the seesaw goes through oh, the windscreen of the no. van and literally just hit, I won't name him, but just hit the driver on the mouth and then stopped and just cut his lip a bit. And oh, just, lucky. Mm, and um, it was all cleared up and all the plastic bags, the, the, the plastic bags they used to put parking tickets in was what, They'd use for these water fights, and it was all cleared up, and everything was hushed up. And it was, yeah you know, oh, I've been saw somebody we came near to have a look for him, and I ran into a but seesaw.
0: I'd rather that than the issues that we, the, the, they're facing with the likes of Carrick and Cousins. At oh, time. God, I yeah. mean, that is if that's the worst that was happening yeah. at that time. Um, I'm not sure it was, but no, I'm sure it wasn't. But,
1: but the, the, I think there's always been people like him, it's just it, it's easier to. to, to, to you know, with social media has had such an effect on the world and everyone having a camera in their pockets had such an yep. effect on the world and things are just, you know, things are just different. But, but you know, you, you I, I, I'm a firm believer that the, there were some weirdos joined the job with me at training school and they got rooted out while they were there because they were doing residential training, they were being watched 24-7 by experienced police officers and they say, he's a wrong and he's not for us. And before they actually got the chance to go anywhere near a member yeah. of the public... They were out on their ear. And that doesn't happen now. But my son joined nine years ago this August, and he did nine years ago. He'd eight to four an office book in Richmond or somewhere yeah. went home every night. You know, he doesn't... He can't remember the people he was at training school. with. Well, people I was at training school with, people you were at training school with, yeah, oh it makes for life. It, absolutely. Um, so you know, I think it's different. I think well,
0: you've got your picture bit... up on the wall. Of I assume that's yeah. that's at Hendon, and uh, yeah. no, that's at one.
1: Yeah, that's Wansted. Yeah. Wanstead, yeah. yeah,
0: and and that is and absolutely, we had sequential collar numbers. on my... Oh, we right, are such yeah. a big. Yeah. I mean, our collar numbers are different to the the, the Met ones, but. Yeah. Um, you warrant numbers, work, you right? warrant, you you right? warrant, yeah. yeah. You have warrant numbers, yeah. and then you go to a different area, and you'll get a different, different column number. Yeah. number. Well, yeah. Our, yeah. our column numbers and our warrant numbers stayed the same. Yeah, yeah. And I was two three three zero, but I could name everybody in that group of thirty yes. people. Yeah. And it was, you know, and the girls that were on the court, absolutely all of them. And we keep in touch with them, and you couldn't have got on with all of them because that's how life doesn't no. work like that. But the majority, I still keep in touch with, yeah. and um, I think I think the police are missing a trick. And if you look at the stuff around the Baroness Casey report, community policing is at the heart of the issue. And when they start closing police stations and selling police houses and stop yeah. residential police training, that's when the issues
1: yeah. begin. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. I think yeah, you know, it's the big thing. I do. I mean, it's it's about supervisors. Dave Stubbs, I referred to, who's my first inspector when. He, he kind of said, you you won't be doing this for long. I said, what do you mean? I'm I'm here for long. He said, no, you won't be a PC for long. He said, and it was right, as it turned out. I didn't think it would be quite as quick. But he was, yeah, he'd do things. He'd take me to go and see people who want to make a complaint and watch how he conciliated it there and then and squashed it. And, you know, I learned that from But he said to me once, he said, so front line policing, he said, you do not do leadership from behind a desk. So for now, I said this to my to son when he got promoted. I said, you yeah, know, for desk, now read computer. You don't do not do frontline leadership from behind a computer. You've got to be out there with, you know. And if you're out there and with them and understanding, you, A, you'll get to know them better because you'll see them in high-stress situations and you'll see them when 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 they're being themselves, if yeah. you like. Um uh uh, and also you it gives you the chance to set the example it gives you a chance to to show the standards that you want and you require and that's you know you can send as many emails out from the center as you like saying don't be racist don't be homophobic don't be misogynistic you know you can but actually you need somebody there to make sure you're not being any of those things yeah the example of not being those things And, and that's and i think that's Yes, it's about processes, it's about systems in terms of vetting and all the other things having to go on, but frontline leadership by good, strong, committed leaders is what will solve the problem. Yeah, I
0: absolutely. I absolutely agree. And and yeah. you know, dare I say it, those people that are at the top now. McPherson came out 30 years ago. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. If, if we're saying that 30 years ago there were yeah. issues and they haven't been addressed, then those people that are at the top of the tree now... Mm. Were part of that problem
1: then? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's the whole thing. The whole thing. The whole thing. Paul has gone. You know, I, I, I had I had conversations about the the the, the way promotion and the identification of, of of leaders and so forth went in the police when I joined, when you joined. It was kind of yeah, sergeant inspector. You had to take the exams. That's a national standard. But 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 as well as that, or beyond that. It was about people who did an excellent job in the role they were doing and so were identified as having a chance to prove they could do an excellent job at, yeah. the, at the next step. Yeah. And some point in the 2000s or 1990s, whatever, we, we changed and we got this sort of more HR-y approach, if you like. So we've got all these HR functions now that aren't done by people who know the business, who know policing, but are done because they've learned about HR, but they might have come from you know, industry or the NHS or wherever. And you've got this system whereby you have to – to be considered for promotion, you had to show that you were able to take on things outside your normal role, um, which identified you as being suitable for the next rank. Okay? So if you look at that absolutely logically, if you have got X amount of effort, commitment, passion or whatever for the job – and you know your ex is bigger than my ex is bigger than his ex maybe, but, but everyone's got ex. Yeah. If you put all that ex into doing the job that you're actually in, then you've got no time or enthusiasm or energy to do any of these things to get you promoted. So, in order to do those, you have to do x minus y in your day job yeah. to have time and effort to do all these things. So, my argument was: well, actually, what you're doing is you're promoting mediocrity. Because what you're saying to people is it's okay to be all right in your day job and do these other things, but if you actually go 100% of your day job and have time for nothing else, we're not going to promote you. Where where, where does that make sense? Where, where 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 does encouraging mediocrity Oh, exactly. So what does that do for the service that the public are getting from those people in their day jobs? Oh, sorry, I can't come round and do this, that uh, I promised to do for you, because I've got a project tonight where I'm,
0: yeah. you know... And you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think, um, you, as I say, you look at the chief officers now and there are some fantastic people in there, mm. but there are some very mediocre, and you mm. see them in the, in the media on a regular basis. I mean, they're... I will speak of Essex because they're lucky because BJ Harrington has got a, a yeah. good background in public order and he, he knows his. You Ex know, Tottenham man, you
1: see?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, he went to the same school as my dad. Not at the same time, I hasten to no, add. He's sure. a lot younger than my dad, but. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah I'm a, pretty sure he was Tottenham yeah, PC. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. St. Yeah. Ignatius is a Catholic. Um, I
1: played football for their old boys. Did On you? Twilight of my football career. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, in the, infield. Yeah, to get a scholarship to go there at the time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so I didn't
1: know he was an old Ignatian. Yeah, 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 yeah. I I played football for that four seasons. There's, there's a guy in that picture there. My special course that um, was one of your chief officers as well. She was a mate of mine. Was Joe Joe Edwards? Oh,
0: oh, what a lovely, lovely man. I yeah, mean, very he funny He passed away, but what... Has he? I, yeah, do you yeah, know yeah, I didn't know? Some considerable time ago. Because we
1: haven't had a reunion for about yeah, 15 years. Yeah,
0: yeah, so some time ago he passed away. Oh, that's really he, sad. He, I think he transferred down to Sussex. He did,
1: he was chief in Sussex. Yeah, yeah. and he,
0: yeah, he passed away. But what, what, a, what a character.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He, so I, I saw him on the television when you had one of your um, hijackings. At yeah, that's so right, doing yeah, some yeah, of that. yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was a real And then the last time I saw him, actually, was at the National SIO's conference. Right. And I think he was maybe in Sussex, then he started off in Hampshire. Yeah. yeah. we were we were in the same syndicate on the special course and he was a really, really good guy. What was that like though? I mean you you're you're
0: you're with the great and the good from across the whole country, aren't you? That's yeah. the, the the special
1: course. Yeah, I mean it was interesting. It was so we go for the whole year. So I literally went on the third of January and finished on the eighteenth of December or something, I think. Um, Bramshill, for people who don't know it, is I think on the market again for about £11 million, but it's a Jacobean mansion in 273 acres of Hampshire countryside near the, the border with Berkshire. Uh, Hartley-Wintney is the nearest sort of town. Um, It didn't know, I, I went there in 1984, it didn't know at the time whether it was Sandhurst or whether it was a university, and it had kind of trappings of both. Yep. Yeah. Um I was on the twenty-second special course. So basically, what you did was you went there for a year. You did all sorts of studying, you did all sorts of practical things, um, and you came out and then spent a year as a uniform or, or detective. You'd been a detective when you went there. So a year as a sergeant, and you take the inspector's exam while you're down at Bramshill. Oh dear! Pass it, yeah. And as long as you pass out and you pass the course, you do year as a sergeant, you get made to an inspector. Right. Okay. So that was the deal that was the last one of that sort. They changed it. So I'm 23 years old. I'm the youngest on the course. There were, I think, 28 people on the course, all men, which is the first time it was all men. Um, and I think about half of those, 12 or 14, were from the Met. Um, and the interesting thing was that some of the people on it were on the what was then the graduate entry scheme, so they'd, they'd gone yep. on, on yep. and they knew they were going on it and then others had got to it. Having been in the police, actually found out that my two and a half years at Tottenham, I'd done more policing than some of them. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know? um, and there weren't anybody. There was a guy from Devon and Cornwall. Um, there weren't any from any really, really tiny, small forces. Staffordshire, I suppose, was one from. Um, but a lot of you know there were four or five from GMP. I think there was only one or two from West Midlands. <coughs> a couple from Avern and Somerset. Normal sort of one from Sussex, um, Joe from Hampshire, Joe Joe Edwards, but yeah. Um, so there were two sort of things. You know, there was the academic side of it, which yeah was was was, was fine, was good. Um, we did we did some bizarre things in some ways. We did we did like an outward bound course. So we went down to we went down to um, Brecon Beacons with the paras for a couple of days, and they showed us how to how to build a, a basher and all this sort of stuff, and then we went to Wales for a week and did all these outward boundary things and sailing and canoeing and all these sort of exercises, and you took it in turns to be leaders, and there were some quite powerful characters there. Yeah, I can imagine. A couple of ex-Marines, yeah, a couple of ex-Marines, a couple of ex-Naval officers, Um, some people who had been, you know, Oxbridge, um, decent universities... Uh, there were only five, I think, on the course who didn't have degrees, of which oh. I was one. So I'm the youngest. And, because a lot of them were married and a lot of them had young families yeah. as well. And you go down there. And, I mean, Wednesday afternoons were sports day, so I loved it. It was, you know, football. Which I'd is go- an
0: army thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about,
1: but we would end up playing. I played half the season in goal, which was – we didn't have a goalkeeper. And I've never really – I sort of did it because I – did it for fun sometimes and in those days when you didn't have a sub and someone got sent off or got injured I'd do it you know that sort of thing so played hard I got my worst ever injury playing football playing goal against the RAF um, at Cranwell or somewhere but anyway yeah so we did that cricket in the summer there was archery there was bowls there was a rifle range there was a gym there was squash courts there was five four, four side football because it was quite a small court every night virtually um Every two weeks, there was a dining-in night where you put your best bib and tucker on and and all this sort of thing. Um, you had to go for uh, two weeks to a force that was different from your own right? Um, as an attachment in the summer. But they gave you, I think it was £77 for your expenses for two weeks. So you had to go somewhere you knew someone. So I had a friend of a friend who, who lived in Poole in Dorset. So I went to Dorset Police and uh, spent two weeks... A week on a response team, then a week planning and, and then policing the um what's now the Bournemouth International Air Show it was then the Hearn Airport or the Hearn Air Show or something. Um which was very, very interesting and lovely part of the country. And, and I think, you know, in, in many ways, what it did it's one of those courses where you you learn stuff on it and you thought this would yeah, you know, this is useless, this is pointless. What's the point of it? And then actually a few years later you think, Oh, hang on a minute. Yeah, I know what to do here. I, this is this rings a bell, you know. This is. It was one of those. It was kind of crept up on you. Yeah, the, the usefulness of the course. Um, what it certainly did for me was gave me a completely open mind, unusually in the met about non met forces, because I realised they're not um, all carrot crunches. Exactly that, you know. And exactly, and and, and and you know, so so that was unusual. And, and I used to say to people, actually, do you know what? It'd do you all good to just go and spend.
0: The Which the Met actually did exchange. later on in the in the eighties. They did yeah. they
1: did exchange. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, that's right, they did. Yeah. So I remember we had a guy from Cambridge who come to Holloway when I was there, yeah. Um yeah, so you know that that was that was all good. Um how do you feel
0: now though about the, the direct entry superintendents and direct entry into detectives and etc so on and so forth?
1: I think I don't think you can be I don't think you can be absolutely sort of categorical about the system. I think it's so much. really depends on the individuals. Mm. I've I've only met one direct entry superintendent, um, and not only did I find her very capable and charming and and sensible, but I know that her team, yeah, staff division, BCU, whatever they call it this week, um, that they thought that of her too. You know, um, I think it's all about the individual. I think you. you, you I can understand that the our our kind of first reaction would be, no, don't go there, don't do it. It can't work. I think if you've got talented and decent individuals, then it can work and it has done in some yeah. cases, you know. So I'm not saying I'm definitely against it. I, I do a lot of, um, I say a lot, you know, probably three or four times a year, I do talks to six <coughs> or colleges or, or universities and things like that. And uh, one of the things I'll always get asked is, oh, I'm thinking of, you know, I'm off to university now in the, Sixth or well, upper sixth, year thirteen, whatever they call it now, um, and I'm going to this university to do this, and I want to apply for, to be a direct central detective. What do you, what do, you, what do you, you know, suggest and what advice do you give? And each one of them, I say, when, when you get to university, go and see your local force and join us the special. Yeah, I said because there are a number of things, I said, if you're deeply cynical, it looks good in your CV, whatever you choose to do. Yep it may be that you it may be that you find out from that that you really hate the idea of being a police officer in policing in which case it serves its purpose yeah or it'll give you a really good grounding so you know a bit about the organisation when you go in into what is a, a difficult route into policing whether you've done it or not i don't know but that's what i'd say to them I, you know i think that's
0: well I, I i was talking to a a former colleague who was a chief officer locally here and um <laughs> You know, I've got a view on it because B.J. Harrington um, announced that a person who was previously a scaffolder has gone back to scaffolding because they'd gone in as a direct entry detective. B.J. In fairness, didn't raise that bit, but he did because I know the I know the kid involved or the firm involved, mm. and we were having this conversation, and m- m- our mutual friends said, well, yeah. "Look." When we took them on in our particular force, they'd all come from an investigative background. So yeah. they all had, you know, trading standards, it could yeah. have been customers' exile, whatever it may be, but yeah. they all had the ability to yeah. carry out an investigation. So I think you're quite right. It is person centric
1: as opposed to anything else. Yeah. No, it is. And, you know, I'm a wood made good, as I say. You know, I never did DC or DS. Did you not? No. No, I mean, we haven't got on it. But, yeah, I did my year at Bramshill, um, passed it. I went to Paddington. Well, they, they told me my posting sergeant was going to be Stoke Newington because I'd just come from Tottenham, which is next door. Yeah. And I, you know, I said, is, I'm not going to learn anything. It's just the same. It's the same people just across the yeah, road, yeah. you know. Um, they are getting A to D, so basically Westminster. Where do you fancy going in Westminster? So I don't fancy being a, a tour guide. Um, oh, Paddington or Tower Road. Yeah, that sounds all right. So I was DFD then. And I ended up going to Paddington Green. I oh, okay. Paddington Green as a sergeant. Which was in the terrorist centre. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I went on, we had, had a huge team. You know, we had, I think we had seven sergeants. Wow. Um, and only one of them was over 35. And they were a great bunch of blokes. And I had a really good time there. I only—I knew I was only going to be there for a year. Um, and then I was there for about six months. And to be honest, you were when you were in the custody office... You were a, a, a you were a word processor for on twenty fourth of June nineteen eighty four at Sussex Gardens West two. You did lighter being a common prostitute. You did lighter with the purposes of prostitution. <clears throat> You'd write that thirty times a night. Some nights, yeah, okay? because that's it was all done by hand. And, and, yeah. And there was there was a big problem there at, at that time. But but it was also very different part sort of policing to Tottenham. Um, Really, you know, hardly any vehicles. And actually you didn't need them because it was got small ground and you were often quicker to walk across it. We had the, 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 the terrorist um, suite there, the security suite as it was known, which was all done on overtime and you could earn fortunes on, you know. Uh, all done on overtime. It's funny how funny how special branch seemed to manage to bring somebody in <laughs> bank holiday weekends, which, yeah, we didn't complain about, but... No. There was always some... They wouldn't arrest anybody no. for the rest of no. the year. There was always some... <laughs> <laughs> Good Friday. Some feckless Irishman would be brought in <laughs> on Good Friday. But, but yeah, I mean, it, it was... Um, <laughs> we... Uh, I charged. Sort of celebrity celebrities uh, there. Boy George and his brother was one. Jamie Blanford, Marcus of Blanford. Oh, he wow. He got done for drugs. He was, he was absolutely charming. He was a lovely... He was just... Head in hand saying, what the fuck have I done? You know, <laughs> basically, basically what he was he was all about. Uh, John McGee, McNeese, it was the Brighton bomber. We charged him while I was there. Oh, wow. Um, and it was, yeah, it was an interesting time. Um, uh, and there were some absolute characters there. You know, there were, there were one or two PCs who'd been there since the old Dixon of Doc Green, Paddington Green. Um, and one of them, he, he was... He literally, you know, he had thirty odd years' service, thirty one, thirty two years' service. Wouldn't go, um, and he, his job, I think, when I got there was to count the radios each day. I think that was all he did, and he was like the chief superintendent's assistant clerk or something. No wonder he didn't want to go. Basically, the chief superintendent was looking after him, but the chief superintendent went, and a new one came, and he said, "Well, right, at least he's going back on the team." So he comes back onto our relief, and uh, the first day he's there. Sergeant who was in the control room, because then the control room was local and you were all off your team sort of thing, you know, you are all together, who was a little bit sort of, a bit mean really, but we had a shoplifter, he said, I'm detained shoplifter, he sent this old boy down to deal with the shoplifter, he's not been out the nick for 20 years, you know, let alone, so I picked a probationer up and he's <laughs> down there and gave the probationer to him, said, right, you sort that out. So we had a chat about it and I said, look, you know, we can't, so we decided he could be jailer, he could be permanent jailer, because we didn't have civilian jailers in. Well, of course that was a nightmare as well, because you'd you'd have solicitors in there and everything, and you'd say, um, I won't give his name, but let's call him Fred. His name wasn't Fred. Say, so, Fred, could you uh go and feed the prisoners now? Feed them? Feed they're they're criminals, we don't <laughs> feed them. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. And he literally, I've seen him literally pull his Stick his trudge out of his pocket and walked down. I said, Where are you, you go, friend? He said, so said, go off and beat a few prisoners up if that's all right, Sergeant. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't mean it, no. no. Just do it in the <laughs> oh, <for> God they <laughs> And this is and this is wonderful. I've got to tell you this wonderful story from there where the commissioner came to visit. Okay, and there's an old sergeant there who uh, uh probably dead now actually. And he, he came unstuck for various reasons, but anyway, um gripped the rail in the end, I think. But he um he was a custody officer or a station officer. It was a custody officer. We were doing the dry run for Payson and uh, he's in there. And there's been this chief super who's a staff officer for the commissioner. has been fussing around all morning about making, you know, it's Paddington Green. I dealt with 38 prisoners, my business ever, eight hour tour of duty. Yeah. Yeah. That's how busy it was. It was really busy now and it was, you know, chaos. I think all it's prison. gone now as well. No, yes. Yeah, it's, it's all squatters now. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, there was always bits of paper and forms and bags and, you know, it was just it was just chaos. And this staff officer, Chief of wanted it to be look absolutely perfect for when the commissioner came in and this old sergeant's got a little bit fed up with it. And he's sitting there writing something and the commissioner's sort of two minutes away or whatever or three minutes away and the, the staff officer comes in and says, very, very tidy in here now, Sarge, well done, thank you very much. He goes, oh, thank, thank you, sir, he carries on writing. And then this chasing him down, gets on his hands and knees, and he's down on the desk in front of him, leaning leaning under the desk like that. He says, are you all right, sir? He says, yeah, there's a cigarette, under, there's a cigarette end under here. I, I can't quite reach it. So the says, puts his in his back. He says, oh, don't fuck about it. no one everyone of mine. <laughs> 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 yeah, because everyone smokes in the offices, yeah, yeah, did not they? Yeah, oh, I mean, it was horrendous yeah,
0: yeah, if you didn't smoke, yeah, but yeah, overflowing fag. Yeah. Ash yeah, those and, sort of
1: square, yeah, metal things, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I had a good time there. Then the last six months, I went on the DSU, um, which was like the, you know, the bright vans, if you like, the yeah, shield, yeah, shields and all that sort of thing. And um, it meant we covered the whole of Westminster really from that and elsewhere. And um, so I was sergeant on that, and we we had it's quite interesting because I'd, I'd done a I'd done a weird driving course um, back at Tottenham. I had a driving course booked for something like the October uh 83 and my dad was as i said was at the driving school but i've also taken part in motorsport and various things for most of my sort of adult life and uh the guy who was the secretary of the motor club was chief inspector at the driving school and again somebody some others misfortune was my good fortune somebody pulled out of a driving course last minute because they'd injured themselves or something and mick turner who was the the um James Fetter said to me, dad, he said, oh, you know, Colin's coming up in October. He said, do you reckon you take place on this course? And Tottenham can get an extra course that way. He said, because they have to take an exam the first day, but he'll be okay. you can do that, can't he, by Monday? So I squared it with the uh, the bosses at Tottenham. They were happy to get it. So I ended up doing a course that was for traffic patrols. Oh, right. So I got things like Land Rovers and carriers, and and I did the van straight away rather than just Panda, and it was all three weeks of the drive. so we Loved it. A fantastic time. Um the very first time that I drove a carrier or a blue light vehicle was as a sergeant with the DSU carrier down Oxford Street. Now given what we'd done, we we'd done the courses up in Cambridge and all this sort of thing. It's all about overtaking the dead straight roads in cars. And I am going, wow, 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 with a with a long wheel-based diesel transit down with down, all those buses. Down, and- down Oxford Street. Yeah, that was the that was my, uh, my my initiation to blue light driving. But yeah, so I had a good time on there as well and um yeah, it came out and and they said, "Right, um, you're being promoted." Uh, on the, I think it was the seventeenth of December, nineteen eighty-five. So, given I was um, I was twenty-five in the November, so about three weeks before, I had four years and eleven months police wow. service, of which I'd spent a year at Bramshill, six months at training school.
0: Bloody
1: anyway, awkward. and I'm twenty-five years old, and I, they sent me to Leighton.
0: Oh right, East London,
1: and you know I go across to Leighton and it's like, oh, we really nobody, nobody from the special course ever comes out this far. Nobody ever. We never get anyone like you, sort of thing. You know. So I'll go to Leighton, I'm 25 years old, you know. <sighs> some some of the some of my relief, some of my team got more service than I've got age. Yeah. You know. And again, I had to fall back on thinking. Look, I've got a couple of really experienced sergeants here. I'm, I need your help, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm going to be leaning on you and I ain't going to pass it off as my own work sort of thing but all I <clears> need <throat> to do is to actually tread water and I only needed to tread water for seven months, that's all I was going to be there because while I was on a special course at Bramsville, they came out and said, well, who hasn't got a degree? Hands up, five of us. Right, there were six places to go and do a degree full time, um, there's only five of you, you fill the form and you've got it. Can I do German with linguistics? No,
0: <laughs> <laughs> just like the
1: dead. Um, so I did six months at Leighton, and then I went to University College London, UCL. Oh well, wow. for full time for three years on full pay, inspectors. Pay, no, I and did my law degree.
0: So
1: ah, I did it. I had three years because my first year that I'd done didn't count because it was too long afterwards. But I was so I was twenty six when I went there. And there till I was 29. And I'd done so little policing that when it came to the holidays, I'm thinking, this is daft. I've finished out. Know, it's May. I'm not back till middle of September. So I spoke to my sort of contact at, back at the Met, who was a guy called Dave Strang, who again was on the special course for me. He was chief inspector then, sort of career branch. He, he ended up as chief in Scotland somewhere, Lothian and Borders, I think. And David was, was quite a good friend of mine. I said, look, I need to... I'm, I'm going to be... If I spend three years out, I haven't got that much experience to back onto. I'm, I'm going to be like starting again from scratch when I come back. So I think I ought to do some police work during the holidays. It's oh, very unusual. I got I got a phone call or a letter or whatever it was, no email then, from the Federation saying, we battled for years for people who were on... Uh, these secondments, these, these scholarships, yeah. not to have to come back to work. And you're, you've done it. And I just said, Well, okay, I understand that for most people, but for me, I think this is the right thing to do. So yeah. I'm going to do it. And yeah. that's how I ended up going to Holloway. And I went to Holloway and I was just covering for the relief inspectors on oh, wow. on their holidays, basically, at Holloway. And I, it was brilliant. I just, and whether I'd grown up with a year away or whether I'd just, was more comfortable in my own skin about what I was doing. I, I really don't know. But I went there and I just took to it like up to water, the place, the people, how we worked. And I, um, I, was, I was there sort of on, on aid or strapping or on loan or whatever you call it. And as I'm coming up to the end of my degree, um, the chief super there said, I've got a space I'm holding open for you if you want to come here permanently. So I said, yeah, absolutely. So I started going there in 87 and, and I was there for the next five years on and off for the first two. But then spent a long time on the relief at Holloway. Uh, just fantastic people. The best people really that I've worked with uh, in terms of a team. That's interesting yeah. because I interviewed a guy called Alan Levershed who was a Yes, I listened to that one. And I think he said about Holloway, Holloway. being a great place mm. to work. It was. It was it was busy, you know, it was busy. We had six six thousand custody numbers a year. Wow. While I was there. And my team, they thought they'd let me down if if we didn't have a they used to keep like a league table of arrests. If we not had a hundred arrests in a night duty week, they think they'd let me down. God, I wonder what they, I wonder what the arrests yeah. are now. I know, I know. Well it went down the as, as we went to sector policing, but but yes, I was there on the relief for Quite a long time because I applied to go to the TSG right, as an inspector and got selected. And uh, every time they shuffled the inspectors around every sort of eight months or nine months, I would leave Colin, he's going, you will be going. To what they did was they, they took one carrier off the TSG. So the, the post I was selected for disappeared. Right, yeah. And the two guys that were there as inspectors were there with their feet under the table for years and I never got there. Oh right, um, but because I had this sort of, I'd been identified as that's where I was going. They left me alone, left me with my relief, and yeah, it's great. I've I've been the probationers on my relief now from those early nineties have all been retiring the last few years, and I've been going to their retirement dues Brilliant, and, and we've got a really sort of yeah, we we have loads of reunions, two or three times a year. Um, really active sort of Facebook group with us all on, and and it's just, and I did a gig up in. Um, in York, did a sort of a talk, an evening with sort of thing, in a theatre in York uh, last year. And one of my probationers and her partner, they came to see me, surprisingly, because they, they live up in Barnard Castle now. She, she, she's from that part of the world. A nice sort of symmetry. She was probationary on my life. She ended up for most of her service, a lot of her service in firearms. She was a firearms instructor as a civvy after she retired. Right. And she was my son's firearm instructors for a bit when he did his fire. Oh, wow. So yeah, it was just nice like sort of symmetry. But but so yeah, really, really good people, really enjoyable place. We had the Arsenal football. Of course. That I was bronze mobile at. So I did all the shield people, the TSG and whatever, and the traffic. Uh, and I have to say, I used to quite enjoy putting removal stickers on Arsenal fans' cars. (laughs) Is that bad (laughs) of me? And and that was the old Highbury as well. Yeah, it was, yeah. And during the George Graham era. So you'd go in to watch it and your head would be up like that. You know, they played Wimbledon. It was just... Yeah, yeah, it was... (laughs) And they were very good to us. So They were very good to us. Um, We used to go in and the, the relief used to Hire the indoor ball court there, they charge us about 10. Oh, really? Um, once every four weeks, so it's that we'd done our nights, we'd had our two days off the Thursday back late turn. We'd all meet there at 11 o'clock, say, all oh, about 20 of us, and we'd play seven a side with revolving slubs for two hours and then go and, then and go to work. have lunch and go to work. And it was that kind of bond, you know, it, it was it was but that's how
0: you build camaraderie. I say yeah. this in every interview yeah. with people like yourself, and yeah, the camaraderie needs yeah. to be. And with the camaraderie comes trust and community policing. Yeah. It's not Uh, rocket
1: science. I mean, again, even when I I started sort of full-time there with Relief, I was still only 29, I suppose. Yeah. And I had a guy a bit older than me. He's still serving. He's still serving in New Zealand. Oh, wow. And he had some, I won't go into it, but he had some difficulties with a stepchild and and, uh, lived close to me and just came and knocked on the door one night. And the him, and his wife is older than him. And I'm sitting there, my first wife's making a, a cup of tea and that. And I'm thinking, this is part of the job, though, Colin. You know, you, you've never. You're the welfare I, officer. I, I'm, 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 Yeah, you know, and the fact that he's more experienced than me, older than me. And again, we're there's a book in this, and we my mini books. It's um minis, minis under across the world or something. Right. He sent it to me from New Zealand. You know, he's he's, he's a great guy. But but and, that is what you do. Um. Yeah. And and and. I did. I used to say, you know, we'd we'd we work together, we'd play together, we'd fight together. Yeah, you know, and and that was what it was like. And some really really top people there, and, and people who cared, people who really cared about what they did and about how they did it. Um, and you know, didn't really get any considering it was a busy sort of place. You know, but thinking people, even you know, PCs, reasonably experienced PCs, but. You know, we'd come up with ideas about stuff, and, and uh, you yeah, know, we, we had There's a place called the um, the Gresham Ballroom on the Holloway Road. Yeah. Was, I dare say it's gone now. Big old Irish dance hall, nice place. They used to have CID do there every year, you know. And we were virtually on first name terms with the with the bouncers because there'd always be a bouncer in the cells on sort of Sunday early. Yeah, because there'd be a fight, and, it, and they'd get, uh, he he did it, and and they'd never get charged. It'd never go anywhere. And we were having a team meeting one day, and this PC said, "Sir, do you reckon we caused a problem by sitting up there at two o'clock and it calls out, turns out?" So I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, he said, they come out. They've all had a drink." He said, "And normally there's been a bit of a, an altercation or whatever." And, and normally one of the women—it's normally the women—come running across the police car and saying, "He's just hit my boyfriend. He's just hit." My... He said, um, "We have got to do something. He said, if we're not there, they go home." and i thought it's radical but actually yeah because everywhere probably time immemorial cops have sat outside oh yeah when they turn out all over the world you know and we've always done it and it was it was having giving a pc with about seven years service eight years service having the confidence to come out at a meeting and say, why don't we do this, yeah. and then running with it, and saying, yeah, okay, we'll give it a try. We'll give it a go and see what happens. Bloody work, didn't it? Yeah, of course it does. And, and we you were know, sometimes the provocation to the problems. And it's yeah. like
0: the police service don't have a problem with drugs until they find drugs on a yeah. on a suspect. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. It's, yeah. That's how it goes in time, time immemorial.
1: But but that's that's the you know, point is, is, is actually having that... I was proud of having that kind of atmosphere on the team relationship where yeah. he was happy to come and do that and not just think oh no the governor will just say that not be stupid you know and, and 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 that's one of those things that I kind of learned from perhaps if you like that actually that's the best way to encourage people to grow and encourage people to do a good job and hopefully I took that through and it went through to better time the emergency well and well. I think it
0: did because that, that reflects in some of the stuff that you've you've done subsequently but you're right how many times have you sat with a a governor and they've said because i said so. Well, why yeah. why, am we, why are we doing that governor? Well because yeah. it's almost like because i said so. There's yeah. no rationale to it. Yeah. There's no policy that they can write down. There's no strategy that they can write down. It's because they said so. Yeah. And to have that yeah, ability to encourage and trust your staff to make a decision because they are dynamic yeah. decision makers and risk assessors
1: and and they know they know what it's like. They're actually doing <clears throat> it, you know.
0: Well, they're on the ground more, aren't they? But so, at what point do you go on to CID and get involved in well, in, in the the uh, crime element?
1: Well, if you read uh, my first book, <laughs> um, he says. Well, we're going to put all your books. We're going to put if all the links. I'll give you it if you ever read it. But but uh, but I, I say in there essentially what happened in 1983. Go back to that. Andy Taylor, whose car kind of I was sitting in at the sergeant's exam um, when I was APSing, we'd been on the late night raid. We're coming home. We come across a fire in Enfield Town. He goes to get the fire brigade. I try and get in there. I get beaten back by the flames, two people die. And I feel a bit bad about it. I should have gone in there and done more. I'd have died as well. But And the old superintendent phones me up and says, We need a statement from you. Come down to the instrument. Oh, I swear it with your boss to spend a few, few days on the team with us. And I spent about two weeks on this motor, first murder squad I've ever been on. Uh, and I was absolutely fascinated by his job, sitting there in the horseshoe with his red book. Right, OK, well, what have you done? What does it mean? What do we know? What do we do next? And he see his head, and I'm thinking, oh, I like that. That's a, that's a good job. That's a really good job. But because of the way my career path was, I thought, it's never going to happen, but that's a good job. And then two things that altered that, I suppose, is one, when I was at Holloway, there were a number of sort of people that have been an influence on me over the time I was in the job. One of them was a bloke called Budgie Cade, who was a PC who came to us from the SVG, and he was at Tottenham, and he was just hilarious, but a great copper and um, he went to the stolen vehicle squad the old chalk farm c10 yeah. if you've heard of it yeah and um, i've always been into into cars in various ways you know and i bumped into to budgie somewhere and said you know it's when i'm an inspector at holloway and you know? i said oh, what's going on then you know what's what's, uh, what's happening it's about 89 i'd just gone to holloway full time and uh he said rs oh, turbos and xr3 cabriolet he says we're losing handovers. Yeah, we were at that time. He says, and I don't know. We don't know. We can't work out where they're all going. I said, oh, okay. In fact, one of them, one of them, uh, subsequently, I'll come back. That it's an Essex Police connection with this as well. Um, So I so, said, okay. So I looked at it and and I thought, well, that's something for the team to do, isn't it? We've we've got all these. You know, we've got about twenty five PCs and six sergeants or five sergeants or whatever I had. In Holloway, A1 coming down that way, Seven Sisters Road that way, you know, quite a big. So I sat down at a team meeting. We used to have, I used to have them once a month, first early turn each month, and we sit down and talk about what we can do and bits and bobs. And and I said, well, I've got this idea. Okay, I said I've written two sides of A4. Idiots, not like you're idiots, but an idiots guide <laughs> to. Uh, as I said it like that because you know they'd laugh. At it. So, I said two seeing if an XR3i or a Ford Escort is a ringer, this is how you decode the VIN number, this is a the secret VIN number is, this is what the stamped in one is, this is the, the colours that should be. These, you know, all on two sides, basically. Right, you all have one of those. We'll keep a red book in the control room to log when we stop them, because otherwise if they live on the ground, it'll get fed up we've been stopped. Yeah. And for one month, we're going to stop every single one we see, we're going to go through this with it, and if we can't find one that's wrong, then we'll give up. Bloody second one we stopped. Really? Right get called up for a PC. Governor, can you come and get me out? I'm not sure. I to, but there's something wrong with this, but I don't know what it is. It's Holloway Road. It's next after our cabriolet, and it was on a queue Q-plate. Yeah. And that was the scam. That was the scam. And it obviously been had filler where the stamped in number was, so we took it in. I pulled the radio, because Budgie had told me this, that the Ford used to put them on trains coming through Tottenham, funnily enough, and it's a big wide bend, and it was slow enough for the, Thieves to jump on, take all the radios oh, out yeah. and jump off again. Oh, my. So, what they started doing was taking the radios out at the factory and they'd send them in a van to whichever garage right. the car was going to on the truck <coughs> and then they'd marry the two up again. So to make sure they put the right radio in the right car, they'd write the last seven digits of the chassis number, VIN number, in Biro on the label on the radio. Right. So, if you sometimes said if people didn't know that, if you pulled the radio, you'd have enough. It's the same as the engine number on the Ford was then anyway. Um, you'd have enough to do a check and see if it's done. So we've identified this as being stolen from Chelsea. And, you know, new car, less than a 1,000 miles it. And got the, um, it was Judge's son that owned it, actually. He came down with his keys and still worked the glove box. And he found dog hairs that were from his Labrador in the back. And, you know, nice statement out to him. And then we worked out where this bloke had bought it from. He was an innocent purchase, this bloke. Say innocent, if you're paying four grand for a 12 grand car, how innocent are you but yeah. Yeah, that's another question went over to Chingford where this bloke he bought it from we found a stolen um, Capri 280 the last of the 2.8 Capri, yeah, yeah. body shell and a stolen XR2 in his right. garden so he had those in so all of a sudden we've got like I don't know twenty five, thirty thousand pounds 30000 pounds of stolen cars that we've got in one afternoon back at High Prevail. so I think I've got a phone a <laughs> so phone badger he and a bloke called Steve Wimpley is I went to his funeral a few years back unfortunately. Again, came from the SVG to Tottenham, Steve Wimp. And they came over and they said, Oh, you've done a pretty good job here. This is there's a this is a job with this, this is what they're doing. And Budgie had just um lost his partner on the team because she was long term sick because he'd written off a, an S D one on a surveillance in Oh, right, yeah. So we had no one to work with. He said, well, I'm gonna ask my boss if you can come work with us for a few weeks. I said, Budgie, I'm a relief inspector. they never, he said. I lost new people. Next thing I know, yeah, you're going to, to SO16 for that for about three months with this budget's partner. We got seventy-two of these cars back. They had a, they had a. Um, it's a good story actually. They had a one of the team. His his um, girlfriend worked for Dagenham Motors, and she nicked a box of like five-part coloured no-carbon stationery with their head. Yeah, in it. and what they were doing? Electric typewriter. They were typing up receipts for a body shell, an engine, a gearbox, taking, nicking very new cars, taking all the identification off and going along to Ilford, mainly, to the vehicle registration office, saying, yep, we built one up out of parts. Here's all the receipts. Oh, yeah, you have a Q-plate, and they're selling it for half price. But one of the cars that we got back was an RS Turbo that it was an Essex PC, lived in Canby Island. I don't know if this rings any bells, right. but, but his wife or girlfriend he lived with worked for Ford's. And she'd got him this RS turbo through the light employee scheme. Yeah. He'd done sixty two miles. It was stolen oh, off his drive in Canvey Island. No. But we got it back. But yeah, yeah. So that was good. So I'd done that sort of bit and and, and I'd kind of had this thing back of and I thought, oh, I actually quite like doing this. But and I I remember sitting down with the DI at Christmas too one year at Holloway saying, I really I really want to come across and have a go at it and give it a go before I finish. And he says, Oh, you haven't done you haven't done the groundwork, Colin. you know, you can't he says, Oh yeah, just i on doing what you're doing. You'll be a bloody chief superintendent and, you know, you'll be fine. Yeah. You like doing your public order and your stuff and your football and stuff. and yeah, Be happy with that, you know. He, was, he said it in a nice way. But that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. It. And then what happened was the Met decided probably quite rightly that they had too many chiefs and not enough um braves and uh that they were going to try and lose some ranks. And they didn't have any promotions to chief inspector for, I think it was four years, had a moratorium. Yeah, that's uh, right. On promotions. And... I'd given, you know, this was this was about ninety two ninety three, And I'd been on paper, at least, an inspector since 85. So I'd already done quite a big yeah. chunk, you know. Um, and again, the career development branch sort of rung us all up. No, no, I've missed a little bit out there. They had this they had this new high potential development scheme. Yeah. If you did special course 1985 onwards, you were on it. Or if you joined, and and because I did 84 specials, I wasn't on it, and I'd not been promoted, so I got the ump. I thought, well, why not? So they said, well, we're doing an assessment sense, do that. So I said, well, I'll do it. So I did it, and I passed it. There were four, four of us passed it. And I got so I got back on the... Yeah, I, I, I think I'm probably the only person who to go and the high potential see him twice and still only make chief inspector, but there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I was on that. So they said, oh, well, we're trying to, you know, while there were no promotions, he wants to develop you. Is there, any, is there anything you'd like to so ask? Yeah, I'd like to be a DI police. Oh, yeah, you can do that. And within weeks... so we'd started sector policing then. So the duty officer inspector role was... You were working with different teams, not your own team. Yeah. And it was not the same, you know. So... I was ready to go and do something else, so I did. Um, And I went to Islington as DI.
0: This is the end of the first part of Colin's interview. Make yourself a cup of tea. Come back and click on the link for the second part. Thank you.